The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I am Thomas Doherty. And I'm Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, our podcast, a show for people around the globe who are thinking and feeling deeply about climate change, their emotions, how this manifests in their body, and, and all their different feelings, words, and feelings, tones, and nuanced feelings that we have about these issues. And today, Panu, you and I have been talking about our youth and our life journeys. So there's this idea of the journeys we have in life and these developmental adventures that we have, and our envir- this idea of our environmental identity, and then that sets the stage for our environmental feelings and how we how we act as adults and how we act as elders. Um, let's chat about that a little bit in our, our respective journeys. And listeners, you can think about your life journeys as we go as well. Panu, what's when you start thinking about your your life journeys and significant points on your environmental identity timeline, what are some things that come up for you? Yeah, I'm now 43 years old and that's the age where people mm-hmm. I guess rather regularly start thinking about midlife issues and, and looking back a, a, a bit and then also thinking about certain phases or stages in one's one, one's life and part of that work for me has been a build up for this ecological emotion work that I'm doing and it's required to do some self-reflection and I know, know that you Thomas do many interesting exercises uh, around that timelines and development of identity and, and the so-called environmental mm-hmm. identity will open up that that concept a bit more quite, quite soon. Then we also know that we've been doing different journeys when we were younger but we haven't actually talked about that so that's one feature of this podcast that we don't do any you know 100% rehearsals of these episodes but we are sort of learning things both generally and about other each other also as as we go as for my my part certainly some of the traveling i did when i was from 18 to 22 year old was very formative for me and then from this new york times article where you were interviewed thomas i also saw that you had done some quite extensive uh, traveling mm-hmm. uh, also by some un- uncommon means in in north america when you were young uh, would, you, would you like to say something about that yeah well this is such a juicy topic panu um journeys um you know, we're talking about this idea of environmental identity and and it's our sense of self and our concept of ourself in relation to the environment and in relation to nature and the natural world and other species. And it's kind of a it's kind of a form of our identity. It's it's we have different kinds of identities. We have our cultural identity, our racial identity, our 
gender identity, sexual identity, all these kinds of identities that people are taught to understand and express and to value other people's different kinds of identities. And I really do think environmental identity is, it's ready for the public. It's ready for uh, public knowledge. And it's a big focus of some of the work and writing I'm doing. So so I, I think all the journeying things we're talking about are, are kind of our life stories. They kind of lead us to to where we are. Anu, you know, you're kind of a an artisan working on um, environmental emotions and, and, you know, kind of crafting these, these papers and books and things that help people understand their environmental uh, emotions. And you've kind of apprenticed at this for a long time uh, to get to where you are. And I have sort of in my own way, an artisan in, in the kind of environmental and, you know, eco-psychology work that I'm doing. And we, we apprenticed and found this path. Uh, and so I think that's kind of what these, these journeys lead, lead to. There's a lot of unlearning too that happens when we're when we're young adults. We we leave our families, we leave our homes, and we have to go and find our own way. So sometimes people learn new things and even even turn away or, or renounce you know some things from from the culture or from their family that it's not healthy for them. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for sh- sharing that. And the vocabulary, of course, sounds familiar from Bill Plotkin's work. Yeah, Bill Plotkin. A sort of depth psychologist and I know that you have been reading his work and I've been fascinated by that during the last last three years that's mm-hmm. about the amount of time that I've been engaging with, with it more 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 deeply and of course uh, one of his very innovative uh, thoughts is to do a more nuanced model of certain stages in human life or or development or progression and uh, this apprenticeship and artisanship are some of the terms that he's he's also using so just bringing bill in uh, or already here yeah bill plotkin is is you know one of the founders of the animus valley institute and rite of passage work here in the modern world and his several interesting books Nature and the Human Soul is one book that we're referencing now, um, and you know all the all the listeners, um, you, you all have different models and role models that you use to think about your lives and, and your pathways and things like that. And so the journey, the journey pathway is important to a lot of us. Not everybody gets the journey. Some people's journeys are are, are in the same place. Uh, you know, some of the journey metaphors are a little bit a little bit more masculine than feminine archetypally the hero's journey kind of kind of image but there's the you know there's different kinds of journeys and there's male and female versions of this um in the new york times story that you referenced where i was talking about my um my environmental psychology work and my work with people around climate concerns you know the article mentioned that i had gone to alaska and worked on fishing boats and and did things like that so i mean where i grew up in northeastern u.s and you know, and then I went to a lot of journeys in my life, you know, journeying to college and university in New York City. So there's the idea of journeying, journeying to the big city from the small town. That's that's a real, real important image for people. And, you know, I didn't get a chance to live in New York City when I was a young person and got exposed to all kinds of things about city life and modern, modern life. And it doesn't inform my cosmopolitan ideas that I have, uh, you know, and, um, I did a lot of journeying. In fact, I, the first part of my adulthood was 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 one long journey. I think from my home to to the city, and then um, to Ireland, uh, where I studied for a year in the country, 
in Galway and Ireland and, um, you know, learning about my own heritage. My grandfather's from Ireland and came from Ireland in the 1920s. Thomas Doherty the first, I'm the, I'm the third. Um, so I got the time to spend time in Western Ireland uh, at a time that was, you know, in the in the late 80s where things were a lot quieter and different in Ireland than they are now. And uh, got a chance to just, for Americans, for people who have grown up in the United States, just living abroad, living in other countries is really important, I think, to learn about the world because um, we have such a unique, a unique kind of life in the United States. Uh, so it's nice to, to live in other places on uh, so many dimensions. Um, but I, I have, you know, connect, got connection with my heritage and where the Doherty, my last name Doherty is from uh, the Doherty clans from the Inishon Peninsula on the very northern tip of Ireland. And so did my ancestral home, homeland and what, you know, what my, what my kind of body is attuned to in terms of weather and the light and the landscape and things like that. So those, those, those were all really important um, uh, journeys. And then after I finished school, uh, going out to going out to the west of the U.S. That was another big important image. Going west in the United States, that's a big image, of course. Uh, heading west, and then of course going up to Alaska, which is another kind of almost mythical place for a young person to go to to be in that in that country and to be a greenhorn, you know, in Alaska and working on fishing boats in Kodiak Island. So yeah, just a, a ton of adventures, and it started. I didn't know it at the time, but it started to inform my environmental ethics and um, my sense of nature and wildness and the wilderness, mm. um, which I wouldn't have been able to have without those those experiences. So, yeah, yeah. What are what are some things coming up for you, Panu, as you think about your life journey? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's fascinating, and this theme of connection, connecting with a sort of larger narrative, and also where are we coming from and where am I now and where might we be heading? So that's really the stuff of journeying or, or tra- traveling and also the places with symbolical dimensions. Mm-hmm. That's very well known for us Finns also mm-hmm. going north to Lapland uh, is, is, is the thing we go here. It's probably not exactly the same mm-hmm. as the role of Alaska for the people in the States, but I've noticed some similarities and mm-hmm. then a sort of eco-psychological theme of journeying back into the more than human mm-hmm. world. And I'm thinking of the movie Into the Wild, for example, which is a really interesting movie, which has been actually discussed quite a lot in environmental philosophy and psychology. And of course, it's not any not any simple heroic story. It is Into the Wild of the young, young man who uh, leaves home and then ends up living in in Alaska and also dying there as, as an attempt to do some self self sufficient living type of thing. So mm-hmm. the journeys have also their their da- dangers, so to speak. Uh, but coming more to my my own own background, I was also uh, living in a small town. Uh, roughly 100 kilometers from Helsinki, the capital area, 5,000 people, a rather large sawmill, so forest in the industry, and that employed most of the people in the in the town. My mother worked as a teacher in the in, in the com- community, and uh, I I did uh, trek and hike in the local woods already as quite a young boy. So so that's been one of the foundations of my environmental identity and my relationship with the modern human human world and then 
I got some guidance from a youth worker uh, about actual hiking when I was about eight, 18 years old and I got excited about that and actually the first long hiking I did was in Iceland. Uh, I, I was already doing some university studies and I was working part-time during my studies and then I spent most of the money I had earned during the summers doing long long journeys and mm. uh, Iceland was one of them. It was really expensive compared to even Finland back then. This was 2000 and of course the landscape in its all sort of primeval fascinating nuance that was a big experience for for me so i didn't have any sort of you know single uh, so awakening type or conversion type of experience in the great wild outdoors i've been re- reading about the american literature in this genre also but of course it it shaped my environmental identity also in many many ways and i think one fascinating team about these journeys is that they may give you the possibility to look at common things from a bit of a new perspective and that's probably something also that the journeys taught taught me that there there might be other other ways to take a look at these issues even though as as a Finn one has constantly to keep a sort of eye on various perspectives because we are so so far in the north and have our peculiar view on the world. Yeah, yeah. So again, this gets this is all about meaning. You know, people the meaning people have in their life, and um, so yeah, the listeners, you can think about this. Um, your what your unique journey is, and you know, some of you are still are still are still on your you know are on your journeys, and of course, we're all on our life journeys con- continuing, but there is a certain specialness about young adulthood where we you know might have the the ability and the lack of attachments and and uh and and responsibilities you know so we can travel and go do different things and try on different identities i think it's really important i wouldn't really understand what wilderness is if i hadn't gone and spent time in alaska and been around grizzly bears and and just the scale of 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 the ecosystem or even knowing what a salmon run looks like um but it also exposed me to the industrial side of uh, commercial fishing and um more of the uh really utilitarian view of nature that we have uh, as well um nature as resource another really important developmental piece on my journey was working in the outdoors doing more wilderness therapy and outdoor therapy mm-hmm. um and some of that was um, just um, recreational, like working as a professional river rafting guide. And I worked in the Grand Canyon for a couple of years, uh, doing trips in the, in the canyon on large boat, motorized boats that would go through the Grand Canyon. And that's a whole special place in the U.S. Um, and it's a whole special sort of subculture of people that live and work in the canyon and the river guiding community there. And so there's a pride in sort of... Um, there's a pride in living outside of culture. That's a piece I think that's important. Like when I was younger, it was nice to feel like an outsider on purpose. Like I wasn't really a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have to, my hands were clean in that way. I didn't, it was a little bit outside of things. And, 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 and showing regular people the beauty of the Grand Canyon and spending, spending you know, days and days and days there um, and seeing all the life-changing experience that, that people had when they'd come out of there modern world experiences and even just spending a week 
and the bottom of the Grand Canyon and the time and the, the light and the beauty and the scale and the history and the geology really changed people. Uh, the, a lot of those experiences were key in helping to me understand the, the mechanisms of how nature is, how nature is healing for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even now, if I just do a walk with clients, you know, something really simple and mundane, I have a, ba- a deeper base about it, you know, and understand that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. It's very, very fascinating, and I've only been once to the Grand Canyon to the north, north rim, in one early, early May day when there was still snow, snow uh, besides the, the the roads, and it's quite, quite impressive indeed. And of course, in Finland, we have lots of what people would call wilderness. Of course, m- most of the forests are, are managed and harvested. So the amount of real old growth forests in Finland is actually pretty, pretty, pretty small. But luckily we have lots of woods and, and the Lapland hills and, and so on. But still the American uh, West was quite, quite striking in the monumentality of the la- landscape. And it's easy to, uh, to see how impressive that is for people. And uh, regarding different, different types of journeys, because of my background in religion also I've been thinking about you know journeys of initiation that's one part of also bill plotkin's work in in leading people towards something that might be you know finding something about yourself but it's always resonates with the, your place in the larger mountain human world then there's rites of passage uh, of, of of course and depending on the type of community that you are living that's going to be slightly slightly different if 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 you're living in a tribe, there might be quite quite strong uh, joint rights, and of course, mm-hmm. adolescents sometimes went even on dangerous treks uh, as part of their in initiation, uh, and that's been historically part part of that and the process of growing growing up or finding authenticity has include also also dangers. In in Finland, I used to work a lot at with the church confirmation school camps during summers. That's a one week mm-hmm. tradition in Finland, and um, it's really much about values. Also, they are often in rather nice natural se- settings. So there's, and of course, they are not even nearly as strong rites of passage as some other more, well, you know, primeval forms of those activities are but it has that element and it's of course also been shaping my thinking yeah so this gets into this idea of rite of passage and which is a which is a perennial process in human cultures all you know all cultures have some certain rite of passages certainly indigenous first nations people might still have very intact rite of passage rituals you know and this this idea of going from one identity to another and finding a new identity you know, so I think that's that's a that's a key part. Uh, that's a key part of this. Um, you know, and sometimes we don't we don't know. Some of the listeners are still on their journey, and they don't know what their identity will be yet. And uh, and sometimes we don't understand rite of passages until after the fact, after they're happening. So with climate change, there's a lot of um, confrontation. I mean, just coming coming into awareness of climate change, the waking up syndrome of coming into awareness of climate and environmental issues. And climate change is just the tip of the iceberg of environmental issues. It's just a symptom really of our larger estrangement from 
the natural world and, and, you know, kind of the non-ecological way we run our societies, uh, which is, you know, the inconvenient truth that is that it doesn't work and it's causing, it's causing, it's harming us. Um, so there's a lot of, um, um, we can't, we can't cover all of the ground in this episode, but it, it there is certainly a letting, you know, a letting go and a renouncing of old patterns and trying to find new patterns. And there's guilt and shame about our privilege and, uh, and uh, awareness of injustice. So you talk, you know, we've talked about flight shame, about you know, flying, you know. So one 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 of the challenges uh, for young for young people now that would have been different for for us is that it, you know, there is a shame in being able to fly, maybe in, in the carbon the carbon footprint of of our travels. And so practically, I know I use carbon offsets when I travel, and I've done that for any kind of flight plane flight that I've done for. I don't know, over a decade now. Uh, so I think there are ways practically to travel with a lower footprint. Uh, and some traditional ways of traveling, you know, are our lower foot, lower footprints. So there's, but that's, a, that's an aspect of this kind of thing. You know, when we, when we think about the beat generation, Jack Kerouac and the, some of the people in the U.S., some of the, my idols when I was younger, you know. I mean, I, I literally hitch, hitchhiked, you know, across the U.S. from... New York, in New York to Washington, and then and then took a ferry up to Alaska, and then I hitchhiked in Alaska, <laughs> and was stuck on the side of the road for days trying to get a ride uh, in Alaska. So I mean, there are ways to travel that are very low, <laughs> low carbon footprint, and walking and bicycling. Um, so there are way there are ways to do these 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 heroic kind of traditional journeys, and I think uh, you know some of our listeners are, are thinking about that. And are creative about that. So that's the carbon footprint of our life journeys is not something that I had to think about when I was younger. That was not a part of the scene. That's that's new. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, while there was awareness of climate issues in especially some circles of society, and even con- concern, it, it wasn't even nearly as well known or understood as it is now and of course one may think critically about forms of semi-consciousness and of course it was also more handy for people not to know so much because when when you know know, there's the ethical dilemmas and that starts to impact impact your your behavior but i still think that there was some some real sort of blessed unknowing in this this sense and especially the innocence of traveling has been strongly challenged now and many people would be willing to make some you know agreements that young people could use mm. um, more carbon budget than than older people especially because this this reason that when you are young traveling helps so much often with identity issues and even finding yourself that's the interesting thing of you know taking a bit of distance of to everyday matters and being able to sometimes take a look at your yourself and in in a, in a new new light also yeah so that's interesting we talk about inter- intergenerational justice and and um yeah can young people get some carbon credits um that the elders have already taken advantage of I really do hope as a society we can get to that that kind of enlightened uh, approach. And maybe that's happening in Northern Europe, places like Finland, people thinking about that kind of thing. I'm working on some writing around climate change and you know, you know, it's 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 both worse than we think and better than we think it is in in, in the sense that 
it's there are a lot of things about climate change that people are still coming to grips with that uh, that are terrible and scary. <laughs> but you know, there's also so much innovation. I, I know that Europe is there's a broad focus in Europe to to expand rail travel. I was reading about and trying to make rail travel and uh, more uh, accessible and and uh, and also part of the bailouts for the airlines of uh, COVID bailouts was was making sure that the rail travel was supported. So in that sense, Europe is f so far ahead of the United States because our rail system is really primitive, um, and so people are thinking about this kind of stuff, you know, in terms of travel. And I think you know, Europe is. Um, you know, a more cosmopolitan place because there are so many cultures so close together and it's so easy to visit and, and see other people and other lifestyles. Um, yeah, especially in, in Central Europe, that's that's easier. And there's a difference in flight shame dynamics even between Sweden and Finland because there's a sea between these two countries. So from Sweden, it's in practice much easier to get to Central Europe by rail or bus. And in, from Finland, uh, the price of being uh, high on your morals is, is higher in that in that, that, that regard. And mm. one type of travel that I've been especially interested in is also the old tradition of pilgrimage and its contemporary applications. And that's seen as a form of slow travel and this theme of religion and culture and travel and tourism is something that I've been also speaking about in some some events and, and so on, because there's some raising interest in, in slow travel, both for uh, ecological reasons and for sort of reasons of self-growth. People are noticing that if you go slower, you might actually experience more type of type of thing. And especially if you go by foot, I've also been guiding this 100 kilometer one, one week the trekking things which have have some elements of the old pilgrimages but they are also much like nature nature trekking but concentrating on on the way that you travel that's that's sometimes also a metaphor for living in the climate crisis i think and i'm very much emphasizing them those interpretations of a kind of pilgrimage is where the journey is the most important thing and not the, not, not the goal which may also be be hidden this links with the theme of meaning and trying to experience meaningfulness even though we cannot fully know what what's what's going to happen and i think that's where the symbolic dimensions of traveling and the practical ones sometimes come together at least for me yeah that's really well said panu i appreciate that yeah the idea of a pilgrimage um yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, you've talked about wanderlust, you know, the need to travel and, uh, and you know, just take time off and listen to yourself and to the world. And um, yeah, it makes me want to join on one of these pilgrimages as well. Um, <laughs> that's a cultural thing we can find around the world in different places, this idea of pilgrimage or walking or, you know, walkabouts and, and Aboriginal culture. And um, I know there's a, a very grounding grounding kind of energy that 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 comes up uh with this you know like uh thoreau said um the, the swiftest traveler goes afoot you know so um there is something about that slow travel so i'm going to invite all our listeners to think about that different generations and different places on the lifespan are going to find uh, different places on this um some sometimes of our life are about speed and, and and other parts are about slowness and other parts are about really 
exploring and letting go and cutting our ties and going off into the wilderness or going off into different societies and, and, and experimenting with our identity. Um, and I think later in life, people come back to that as well. Uh, they want to decouple from, from, some, from, from their families and responsibilities as much as they can, you know, to kind of come back into their relationship with the nature and relationship with the universe and with the cosmos. Mm. So yeah, we're, we're touching on a lot of, of, really kind of profound things that are underlying our our connections with nature and our and our environmental emotions and things like that yeah yeah also sometimes experiencing emotions it's more intense when you're not home but you are even slightly outside even though that's a different city area that you are you are in and mm-hmm. one of the framings of the climate crisis is it, that it's a cultural rite of passage or sort of rite of passage for humanity and that's that can be also sometimes hopeful frame, framing of it uh, at least uh, the desire that humanity would learn learn something uh, during this rite, rite of passage and at least experience meaning on the way yeah and i wanted to second that i think that's a way to to a point to end on here i th- i do think as i sit with climate change now i see you know this is a multi generational process it is a it is a rite of passage and um for our for us in a planetary sense and um classic rite of passage model is this the severance you know the leaving leaving your culture and then the the the, the liminal kind of mysterious middle stage and then the reintegration and i think we are in a real liminal uh mysterious stage right now regarding climate change people don't know what's going to happen there's a lot of mystery there's a lot of contention um you know all of the all of the images of the hero's journey where people are you know fighting good and evil and really looking into the dark side we're really unfortunately seeing a lot of the dark side of our society now coming out regarding climate change and some of these resource wars that are happening even in europe and ukraine and things like that and um so it's a really ugly time but it is that middle ground it is part of this larger rites of passage so we're tracking this in our podcast it's what we're what we're here for is to support each other and support our uh, our listeners on this 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 large climate journey that we're doing. So thanks, Panu. This is uh this is kind of a initiation ourselves into other conversations we might have with other people, young people and elders and things like that in our in our future episodes. Yes, likewise. Thanks, Thomas. It's been very fascinating. And dear listeners, do please share some of your experiences of important journeys in your lives we'd love to love to hear about that and let's see what kind of all conversations this leads us to yeah so where you can find us at climatechangeandhappiness.com and find us on all the instagram and email and all the other channels and so you all take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you again soon take care bye bye